We are tonight's entertainment. You can't handle the truth. The fire rises. Pizza time. You're a wizard, Harry. So it begins. You know how much I sacrifice? You think that's air you're breathing? Groovy. I don't have friends. I got family. We are services so jordan yeah what have you been eating it's actually funny that you ask this because before we were recording i was like i'm gonna lie and say that i ate something different more recently so that i wouldn't say the same thing as trent but i will say my uh boss colleen her and her boyfriend made strawberry cheesecake and she brought it into work, and she gave me a slice, and it was so good. Wow, so that's I had pretty magical. Cheesecake. Homemade, but beware, that's wow. a lie. But that's a lie because that. But it's nice that you prefaced it with that. The most recent was any part of that true? But it just wasn't recently, or like the whole thing was made up. It wasn't the most recent. But if you're willing to lie recent. about that, what else are you open to lying about? Yeah, that's that's the real question. Um, my age. Oh no. <laughs> Trent, this is going nowhere good. Nowhere fast, no. Parth, what have you been eating? I had, after dinner, I was feeling a little peckish, and so I had a granola bar. What flavor? Of what variety, yeah. It was these Kirkland from Costco. Um, yeah. Uh, granola bars with, like, chocolate chips and coconut, and it's actually quite good. I'm, was I'm it a one fan. of the ones where it was, like, dipped in chocolate? no. It just has chocolate chips in it. Nice. I've never. What have you had? Yeah, you know, like the Quaker granola bars, and they're like dipped. We're like the. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like submerged. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Well, I had. Yeah, those are good. Entirety of it. Really? Yeah. Oh, so I mean, like that's delicious, and I understand, but that's just a candy bar. Wait. So, what was the real thing that you guys ate? Why don't you go ahead? Um. I worked on set today, and there's always a lot of, like, food to be had at the end of the day. And especially when you're the one doing, like, the crafty shopping, you can sort of, like, pick what you want. And then, because you know there's going to be some left over, and then you can basically just, like, do a little bit of grocery shopping for yourself. Um, and so, I mean, that has nothing to do with anything. But the, uh, there was leftovers from set, and it was... Well, actually... It was. We, it was so much. Yeah, it, it was several bags, but the the what we put in our bodies, um, it was several trays of chips and salsa and guacamole, and I said that I was either gonna, I mean I don't know if this is <laughs> vulgar, but my intention was oh I'm gonna take this and give it to a homeless person because I also had my own burrito leftovers and I thought I really don't need this, and then I got to Jordan's house and then friend of the show. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Episode guest Brand Petty was like, "You shouldn't give that to a homeless person. You should give it to me, and then I should take it, and me and my friend should eat it in uh, Seaside Heights. Seaside Heights, yeah. which is also the where they f- filmed, filmed Jersey, Jersey Shore, Shore yeah. or at least where it's based. And so, uh, thence once the uh, the dam was broken, we all just started to eat uh, the leftovers, and and you know what part? It was so good. Wow. But if any That's if awesome. any homeless people are listening, we're sorry. Yeah, no, I'm sure that makes up for it. Um, with that, I guess Parth, let's just cue into the intro. Parth, when was the last time you gave to a homeless person? Welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about how Parth hasn't given anything to homeless people and was trying to make Trent feel bad about it. Um, so no, but we got recently well, enough for you to remember when you last. I gave no. five dollars to a homeless person like two days ago. I once opened my wallet to give a single to a homeless person, and there was only a twenty in there, and I gave it to him. Wow, good for you. Um, but. Here at Craft Services, we talk about the movies. Each week we yeah. talk about a film and hopefully have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on the picture. This week, we're continuing our interview with Andrew S. Eisen, assistant, or sorry, associate editor of The Hateful Eight. 
and he's worked on a few other things. Oh, the other things such as Django Unchained, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and The Mandalorian, which is a television show, but forgive us. Yeah, and he actually edited, not just associate edited. Did he? Jordan, how was the interview? The interview was really good. Um, I don't really listen to craft services, but I listened to the entirety of this episode. What were some of your favorite? Well, that doesn't seem true, given that I'm Um, the only one that has the files. But and it's also interesting that you always mention how you don't listen to the episode. That does a lot for Trent and I's um, self-esteem. But I'm glad somehow you managed to listen to the whole episode. My favorite question was: Did you ever interact with Tarantino himself? Um, because. I don't know. I like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm a big fan of the guy, even though a lot of people have something bad to say about him. But um, I just wanted to know. And I can't imagine why. If you guys can hear any extraneous noises, you should know that right now, <laughs> uh, friends Friend off, off and show. of the show, uh, Jackson, Clark, and Sarah Brotman are playing Fortnite quite loudly <laughs> at Trent's. Yes. And I told Trent and Jordan that they needed to tell Sarah and Jackson that they had to be quiet, but if you can hear them, I'm sorry about that. Sarah and Jackson weren't playing Fortnite at like comically loud volumes while we were interviewing Andrew S. Eisen. Um, and I feel like we should just play that interview. Yeah, no, let's just... What do you think the transition is going to be? Is it going to be our standard, or is it going to be I don't know. Last, last week I played some Hateful Eight. Have you listened to the episode yet, Trent? I, I oh I, I did just for the transition part. You know I'm a sucker for a segue. I know you are. Wait, did you like it? Parth. Seems like yeah, I, yeah sure I, I liked it. Can you cross contaminate and play Son of a Loving Man um, from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Mm. The transition. That's DJ Parth is he taking requests? <laughs> I guess we'll just Parth? have to find out. Because then people will be confused. Yeah well right now I feel like I can hear. For the edit in the future and I can hear music playing but I can't really decipher what it is so future Parth and future Jordan mm, I don't know if that's what I'm hearing I don't know if that's what Parth's hearing remember Parth's editing this episode Parth can cut you out anytime he wants I'm the sun I'm the sun sun I'm the sun sun I'm the sun I'm the sun I'm the sun Cue, cue the interview. So you mentioned that you actually like edited several scenes in this movie, and that kind of ties into a few questions we want to ask. Um, so it, as far as you can remember, this movie came out at this point six years ago. Um, that Oh, actually, it'll this December, it'll be seven years ago, I'm pretty yes. sure. Um, but... So, from memory, is there a scene or sequence that was particularly difficult to edit, or that you're very that you're most proud of? I mean, they could be the same, they could be different, but just yeah, anything difficult or that you're proud of, um, particularly that you got to work on. So the the, the scene scene that comes to mind the most would be um, the very long scene in the stagecoach that takes place from after. Um, when Walt Goggins shows up, you know, he, he uh, the, um, the sheriff, the supposed sheriff, um, shows up and uh, he gets, he eventually, they agree to let him come inside the, uh, the coach and they get to Minnie's haberdashery. It's probably like, I don't know, a 20 minute scene in there or something where they're just sitting and having this whole conversation about, you know, the Civil War and all the stuff that was going on. And, and, you know, it's just four people in a stagecoach. And uh, you basically, you know, there was um, a two shot on one side of the stagecoach of, of um, John Ruth and Jason Lee's character, Daisy. And then there was... Daisy uh, Domergue. Yeah. Daisy Domergue. And then there was uh, Walt Goggins and uh, Sam Jackson on the other side. So that you had two, you had a two shot and a two shot. And then you had singles on every, on each of them. And, and then there was also, and then there was a side angle four shot where you kind of looked at them from the side where you could see all four of them. That was all the coverage there was for the scene, but it was a very long scene and to keep it interesting and to keep it engaging, it's, 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 believe it or not, it's hard when you have hours, I'm talking hours of footage um, and 
multiple, you know, performances and ways you can put that together. It's, it's, it's a long, it takes a long, long time, which is one of the reasons why I think Fred handed it to me. He realized it was just going to take me so long to get through it all, even though it's basically a simple dialogue. Scene. You know, I, I work on, you know, action stuff too. I work, you know, on the Star Wars stuff and the Marvel stuff, and you have these big action set pieces. Sometimes those are easier to do than a, than a simple dialogue scene um, where you really are trying to get into people's um, psyches and their heads and, and trying to convey a certain thing. Like there, you know, we keep cutting to Daisy Domergue, memory serves. I, every time we cut to her, she's got like a little smirk on her face or she's chewing on her, um, her beef jerky or whatever that was that she was eating. And it's all... It's all kind of um, done in a way to sort of let us know that she's fucking with us a little bit, uh, or she's fucking with them. And, um, and just every every cut, every every line, everything is is intentional, and it and it and it comes comes together through a lot of um, trial and error and experimentation and trying it multiple different ways until it just starts to feel right. You know, there's nothing, and, and of course, along the way, I would show it to Fred, I would show it to Quentin, get feedback, and then um, go at, go on and hone it some more, which is basically the same process, you know, most editors go through with their, you know, with the directors or, or supervising editor, and, you know, Fred was in that case. Um, so it was, it took a long time, it was challenging, but it was, you know, it was fun, and eventually it was done, and once it was committed to film, that was pretty much it. We, uh, <laughs> the good thing about Quentin is he doesn't really change his mind a lot. He, uh, he, he kind of knows what he wants. And he, um, once, he, once he's happy with a scene, he kind of commits to it. There's, there's not a lot. Like sometimes a lot of uh, filmmakers you know, will just keep going around and around and around, maybe second-guessing themselves or just, just unsure and trying different things. I mean, not just because they want it, not because they're unsure, just because there are so many different options. You know, when, when we used to edit more on film exclusively, there was less of that just because, you know, you got to the cut. It wasn't like you could just hit undo 50 times. And, uh, you know, you, once you made the splice on, on film, that was kind of it. And that in the case of, um, you know, the hateful eight and Django and once upon a time in Hollywood, which I didn't work on, but I did get the shirt. Um, nice. Yeah. That's Quentin, by the way. I was looking at it before and I was like, who's, who's that? I was trying kid? to figure out who it was. And then I got saw past the bowl cut and that's, that's him. A, oh, that's for the him. listeners, our guest is wearing a shirt with Quentin Tarantino's face on it. As a child. As a child. Uh, that he's the age he was in 1969 when the movie takes place. Very cool. You implied earlier and like every editor we've talked to, uh, like talks about like how insane the hours are. And I was wondering, uh, is it more, is it like worse or more during dailies or after the wrap or like after filming is wrapped? And uh, we talked to someone who was like editing two projects at the same time uh, with George Miller and George Lucas. And they said that they were getting like two hours of sleep a night for like months. And I was wondering like what, like how insane the editing lifestyle really is. Okay, that is not inaccurate but um whoever that person is uh i don't know if you can share who it is but if uh that is it was mark sexton storyboard it, artist yeah. yo, uh, storyboard artist okay yeah, sorry yeah. but yes, that, yeah that makes more but, sense that they were able to do two jobs at yeah. the same time because editing two movies at the same time or two projects like of that caliber uh, it would be impossible even the storyboard artists because i i will i will sort of you know go on on the side you know when on the on the Lucasfilm stuff on the Mandalorian stuff we do um, and, and all the other offshoots that are all, you know, sort of happening now. You can read a Vanity Fair article that just came out this week that talks about some of those um, different projects that are happening. And, but they all start out the same way. They all start out with story, a script, obviously. And then we do, uh, we edit the full episode in, a, in storyboards. And then after that, we edit the whole episode. Uh, we, we move over to previs and do the whole episode in previs top to bottom, not just action scenes, but the entire episode, because working in this loop, I'm, I'm switching gears more from Hateful Eight to a whole different thing, but um, you, you work, you know, they have to do it so that uh, to prepare the volume 
which is that virtual set, uh, they need to know where all the cameras are going to be and all, what the set's going to look like. So that's why they have to do an entire episode that way. So when we're editing, basically what ends up happening is in those situations, we're editing a, a storyboard pass, then a previs pass before shooting even begins, and then the actual episode. And then sometimes the previs isn't even finished. We're still editing previs while they're shooting. So we're kind of doing three versions of the same episode. Um, it's a lot of work. It's a lot more work than, um, you know, you might have it, you know, they call this TV. It's, it's anything but TV. Um, it's, it's, it's not unheard of to be, to, to at times, especially with deadlines looming to only get a couple of hours of sleep a night. It, it is absolutely not unheard of. And I'm accused, especially by some of my colleagues of doing it too much. I, as I told you guys, I, I, I'm very passionate about the work. I, I get lost in the time. I don't even realize how much time I'm, I'm, I'm putting in. Um, but I, you know, I want to, I want to really, um, sell my cut and and in order to sell my cut it take, it's a lot of fine detail goes in it's not just slapping it together it's it's really doing all the sound sometimes even doing visual effects even within storyboards to make to animate a storyboard uh so it it's just more dynamic and um those kind of things can you can spend hours and hours and hours and yeah so the hours are crazy and you ask whether it's uh, crazier during dailies or after i think Definitely during dailies, it, you're just trying to keep up every single day. You want to, as much as you can, keep up with camera because the second you fall behind, you really fall behind. And then you're always up, you're just trying to chase, you know, um, the film and it gets more and more daunting. If you don't get through your two, three, four hours a day of dailies in one day, and then the next day a whole other batch of the same amount comes in, you're like, your head can explode. So you have to really learn how to... Um, uh, work at a certain pace and in order to get through it all. And in the case of these television shows, um, where sometimes you're editing three episodes and they're shooting all three at the same time, like most, you know, the Mandalorian, it's not like, Oh, they shoot an episode, then they shoot an episode, then they shoot an episode. They're basically shooting the entire thing, like a movie out of order, depending on whatever makes most, most sense for the ADs and the sets and this and that. So you might get, you know, dailies from episode one, three, and eight all in the same day. And you have to, you can't just focus on one. You have to, you know, work on all of them. But it, yeah, the, it, it can be really crazy. And then then when dailies finally stop, and that's, that's a huge relief, you still, the next few weeks, you're still trying to catch up and getting, you know, getting that all sort of, getting a first cut finished and out the door. Once that's done, it's still a lot of work doing in, you know, revisions and getting ready for screenings and things like that. But I find that getting through the dailies is the longest, uh, hardest process generally. There's two other versions of this movie that came out. There's the roadshow, like three hour version that was shown. Mm-hmm. And then there's also like the four part Netflix version. And I was wondering if you had anything, if you were a part of that or so, if that, or if that was in conversation, like during the original edit. So the roadshow version and the and the um, we called the cine, I think we called it the cineplex version and the roadshow version. Those were those were done concurrently. Those were done during that was for the actual release of the movie because the roadshow version was the one where um, it was actually screening in select theaters on seventy millimeter on film, and for that we um, just because of the limitate the actual. Um, uh, limitations of film you can't just have a three-hour movie especially on 70 millimeter which is bigger than 35 i don't know if you guys have ever been upstairs inside a a theater like a cineplex theater and you see all the giant platters that run back when there was still film we both um, used to work at we both yeah, used to I've, work i've at never been in theaters, a film theater but yeah. it, in the digital age so okay so back just even while there was still digital even when digital was just coming up they were still doing film um, screenings, and if you go to you know Quentin's office or whatever you you know or theater, you go upstairs and you'd see that it, everything's like on these big giant platters or just single projectors that those projections to just you know as one reel finishes, he turns one off and starts the other the other one. And that's there's a real art to that too. But basically, there were the limitations of, of being able to show three hours at one time. You couldn't do so. That's why they had the roadshow version had an intermission in it, and that was uh, that. I'm trying to remember, I think we had in the roadshow version like 
maybe a couple of extra scenes that weren't in the Cineplex version. So it was a slightly longer version in addition to the intermission. And then the Cineplex version was meant for the digital release, and it was just a little bit shorter. And we put we put extra stuff that into the Roadshow version just as a bonus, I think, just to make you know people feel like oh they're getting a different experience besides the intermission and the seventy, but also feel like they it probably costs more to see that too. So uh, you know, it's kind of like we're going to give you a little bit more content here. Um, and then when uh, a couple of years later. As we were, Fred and I were working on Guardians of the Galaxy 2, um, Quentin said, hey, we want to do a, um, or, or Netflix wants a, a The Hateful Eight, and they want, they want us to do it like as a four-part series. So we're going to take the show, we're going to take the movie, we're going we're gonna to break it up, we're going to take some, some of the stuff that never made it into the movie, put it back in, and you know, do a little bit of restructuring, and, um, and basically kind of make it, you know, kind of, kind of like a miniseries in a way, or just sort of more four, four more, you know, bite-sized chunks that are easier to watch than a whole three-hour movie. So that was the idea behind that. Um, and I'm sure, you know, I, I don't know that that was necessarily an idea of Quentin's per se, or, or if, you know, it's just another way of packaging a movie and selling more <laughs> subscriptions by having a different version of it. I, I that I, I can't really speak to for sure, but but we spent so in two thousand summer of two thousand eighteen, we spent the summer basically getting all the daily, you know, bringing back all the old drives, everything, um, getting the negative all pulled from the lab and, um, and restarting the whole process. In this case, it was just me, Fred, and Quentin. We didn't have our whole crew with us. Um, we just we just did it. You know, using all the avid media, we didn't, we didn't, you know, we we're trying to conform the film. That was the lab did that on negative. Um, but yeah, it was fun. It was we just sort of spent the summer um, doing that, and then and we 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 did another uh, thing as well on the side with Quentin at the time that um, I don't think is public knowledge. So it's basically you know that I can really speak about right now, but um, but. There's other, you know, there's other little side projects we've done with him as well. Sure. Are are the chapter titles like? Is that all taken out? And no, like, uh, that's how it's restructured. No, or it's, they're not called chapters. I think that we changed the word chapter to episode. And I think, uh, if I recall, we changed. We might have even changed what the names of the chapters were. And so at the beginning of every episode, now it just says episode one. Um, the Phantom Menace. Yeah, I can't remember. I don't remember them what they were. It it was like Last Stop at Red Rock was in the movie when I watched it. Right. So I think chapter one on the on the at the beginning, you know, the the movie starts out the same way. So I think it was the same opening title, the same chapter card. Only we changed chapter to episode, and then episode two was like Daisy's Daisy Dumbergoose secret or something like that. And then uh, yeah, Uh, but yeah, it was. it was fun to sort of re, you know, three years later after doing a few movies in between to revisit it again and, um, uh, you know, to sort of, oh yeah, oh yeah, there was that stuff. I forgot, we forgot all about that scene that never made it into the movie. I would imagine besides uh, like when working on Nolan stuff or Tarantino stuff, like you're editing like on digital and as those invent, because you obviously worked like before and now, and so, like, as those inventions were, like, coming of age, were you like, this is going to make our life easier, or are you like, fuck this new shit, you know? Oh, I, I, was, I was fully on board with it. I, I um, having worked on film, is very physically taxing, and, I, and, I, and that's what I grew up on, and that's what I fell in love with. But the idea that you could all of a sudden, you know, just, like, you know, use a joystick or a mouse and be able to like, get through all this footage and... and Cut and drag back and yeah exactly like lift cut drag all this other stuff and um and undo an edit and then have it all back again or do put a title on something even like that was one of the first big selling points of the avenues put a title on a shot over a shot like on film that that like you know you can just put a title on a shot you you would um you would send the if you needed a title over something you would you would never do it as a temp thing like it was just as a description temporarily you couldn't do that at all 
but if you wanted an actual title like a chapter card for instance you had to you know you wrote it up you hired a designer who was gonna you know who, who made like um, you know did the artwork and then you sent the, the film off to the lab with the timings you know marked with a grease pencil on the film where you wanted it to come in and out and a week later you get it back and you get to see it so if you realize they made a mistake that you know the thing is off center you have to send it back again wait another week um you know, now, you know, all of a sudden you can just do titles. You could do color correction. You could do, you had all these tracks. I think we had eight, when Avid first started, we had eight audio tracks. That was a big deal. You know, we, on film, we were, you know, we basically had three mag tracks. One was dialogue, generally. One was effects and one was music. Now, sometimes you could carry more, but it got more and more complicated and harder to um, to run on a, on a chem or a steam deck. So, um yeah, no, the digital world was it made it made life a lot easier, or so we all thought, until we realized that now there were millions of ways to cut a scene. There always were, but you never dared. You, you basically committed back, you know, in the few days. You made a commitment, and that was it. And maybe you know you undid and you made changes, but not to the extent that we do now. And so, and and, and not just that, but editors now we're, we're everything. I'm doing, uh, I'm animating, I'm doing visual effects, I'm doing music, sound, I'm, ba- I'm basically, I'm looking at a timeline right now, but the project I'm working on, it, um, it's insane, you know, 24 video tracks, and uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's nuts. Jesus. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, it, it's a double-edged sword, in a way. It's like people ask me, uh, have, I've done a few of these other podcasts, or not podcasts necessarily, but um, spoken to students at universities, and they'll, they'll often ask, like, What's it like working at home versus working at an office? And, um, you know, what do you prefer? I, I love working from home because I have the flexibility to work the hours I want and I don't have to drive. In the case of um, The Mandalorian, the studio is very far away from where I live. So it's a, and in Los Angeles, even a five mile drive can take you, you know, half an hour. So, this is significantly further. And so it, a lot of time, a lot of my day was spent in the car and just, you know, you're exhausted and you want it, you want to keep working, but you can't, and you got to, you know, you got to get home and you got to sleep. Now I'm just home. Now, you know, now I, you know, I can work any hour I want. I need to go to the dentist, you know, on a, you know in the morning and go to the dentist, come back, you know, want to work till midnight, work till two in the morning. I can work till two in the morning. If I want to get up at 10, like, you know, unless I have you know, meetings or reviews, uh, I, the time is much more flexible. So I, I enjoy it, and I enjoy, and I'm still communicating with my directors just like this. It's you know, kind of face to face. We probably look at each other more in the eye this way than we do <laughs> sitting in a room together. But at the same time, you do lose that um, that camaraderie of an office and being able to walk into your colleagues' rooms or having your assistant come in the room and talk to you, and you talk to your assistant. Um, it's uh, there's definitely something you know the human factor is definitely lost now. Uh, so so d- just like digital and analog, it's the same thing. It's a double-edged sword. It has its you know positives and its its, its drawbacks. So you've mentioned a few times now that you've worked on The Mandalorian and mm-hmm. on those projects. Trent and I like Star Wars. That's pretty cool. Just like wondering how you got involved with that and um, what that's been like. Um, it's been amazing, um, as you might expect. Uh, you know the the filmmakers involved: John Favreau, Dave Filoni, uh, Robert Rodriguez, uh, Taika Waititi, yeah, Bryce Dallas Howard, Rick Famuyiwa. Um, so many amazing uh, filmmakers that are involved with this project. It it's like it's like speed dating with, uh, with like, you know, the best of the best, uh, you know, there's really cool filmmakers for one, two, it's star Wars. Um, so, you know, and three, the icing on the cake is that the Mandalorian turned out to be a, a huge hit, which nobody at the time really knew. I, so I got, I was just finishing a movie called, um, Brightburn at the time. I don't know. Uh, that oh was yeah. The, yeah. Kind of like it's a, produced you know, by James Gunn written by exactly. his brothers, right? Correct. Brother and cousin. Oh, right. And, yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, so that was uh, and directed by a great guy named David Arbesti and produced by another producer named Simon Hat. Are all great guys. Um, and anyway, as that was coming to an end, uh, 
just out, you know, I'm just thinking, okay, what's what's around the corner? Um, I get a phone call from my agent, and she says, "Hey, I just got this phone call from uh, Lucasfilm, and they they asked about you and to do this." Um, keep in mind, I have almost exclusively worked in features my entire career, and and now she, you know, I'm getting this phone call. It's for this. It's for a streaming series for Star Wars, and. Um, you know, was that would I be interested? It's you know, it's um, it's a show called The Mandalorian that nothing to me. Um, and um, but it's it's John Favreau, I, Dave Filoni. I didn't really was not familiar with at that in that particular phone call. I you know learned who he was subsequently, but um, so I was like, oh boy, you know, it's like Favreau, yeah, for sure, you know. I, um, but. It's streaming, it's television. Is that something? Is that an area I want to go into? Is that a good move for me? You know, all these things. And she said, Well, look, just go meet with them because they really want to meet you and just, um, you know, see how it goes. So I go and um, I'm I'm, I'm kind of somewhat upfront uh, that I'm not a Star Wars nerd. Uh, I have seen all the Star Wars movies, but I, you know, I'm not, certainly not an expert. I didn't really know who Boba Fett was or what, you know, or the allure of Boba Fett, for instance, you know, yes, he was a side character, bounty hunter, who basically barely appears in the movies, yet he's got such a following. That was not me, you know, at all. Um, But they didn't seem to mind that at all. They they were very interested in my, you know, the feature experience that I had. They they wanted to shoot it like a feature. They wanted people with feature experience. This was not going to be like TV, and the fact that I had worked on um, some westerns really excited them as well. Because this was going to be like a space western, and um, uh, you know, and I just think in general, my resume and you know the, the people I had worked with was, I'm sure, attractive to them as well as much as I was attractive to them. So I, 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 I instantly got excited about it, and um, and you know, within a few days, I got a phone call saying that yes job and um and i i haven't looked back since that was a uh, fall of 2018 um we spent a year making the show i i came on just as shooting was beginning so there was already um another editor named jeff siebenek had already been on the, uh in the months prior doing all the you know the previous versions of the of the show and he was all by himself and then uh, I came on because it was just, there was no way one editor was going to do this entire series by himself. And then eventually we even hired a third editor because it was even too much for even just two editors. As we, uh, as shooting continued, we realized it was just going to be too much for all of us. So, um, but it was, it, it was amazing. And we did it, you know, it was, it, we all felt it was really special. We, obviously you know knew about baby yoda but no one else in the world knew about baby yoda and only a few disney execs ever got to see we, we never you know normally on a movie we're so used to testing our movies with an audience you bring an audience in you get feedback none of that happened on this uh, i think i saw maybe three disney executives come to the editing room with kathleen kennedy and some other you know um some other people who you know who got to see the episodes as they were progressing but, you know, it was hard to tell, in the, especially in the early days, before a lot of the visual effects were coming together. It's like, is this thing going to work? Like, we, you know, we, you, 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 you can second guess yourself because you just don't know. I've worked on projects that I thought were going to be giant, you know, summer tentpole movies that fizzled and died, you know. And, and then other movies, like, for instance, like The Invitation Game, small movie, small indie movie that turned into a quite a popular movie. And got nominated for a lot of awards and just got noticed for whatever reason it's hard to really know what the zeitgeist is going to be at any given moment and um and so i even remember the day of the premiere before it actually you know it went on air and we were the first show that actually started disney plus disney mandalorian literally started the um the platform favreau saying god i wonder i wonder how people are gonna you know I wonder what the reaction is going to be to Baby Yoda. Like, you know, we're, we're either they're either going to love him, or they're going to already get dinged hard for it. You know, kind of like you know, it could have been a Jar Jar Binks type thing. It could have been. No, Star Wars fans are nothing if not opinionated. They're brutal. 
They're, yeah. They're volatile, like good and bad. Yeah. So I think, you know, partly the cuteness of him and all that, you know, obviously Star Wars fans uh, glommed on. And I think, you know, you watch the end of the first episode and you see the little, you know, the finger come up and the face and like people like, is that, isn't it? You know, it's like, just, I don't know what you guys, are, what your feelings were when you first saw it, if, if you even seen the show, I don't know. But, um, you know, even non-fans just found this thing to be so cute that I think people just started to watch it because... Baby Yoda, Baby Yoda, Baby Yoda, Baby Yoda. I, I, I read something that said that Baby Yoda's face was like the perfect geometry with what the human brain associates as like cute. And that, like that's like why there's such like a visceral response to Baby Yoda. It's like that, the, ra- the ratios are perfect, you know? I stopped myself from watching the show solely because I was like, I don't give a fuck about Baby Yoda. Fuck that dude. Um, right. but, then, but then I watched the show and my biological instincts got the better of me, you know? Right. Uh, well, there's, there's, there's more of it. There's more of it coming. (laughs) So, I mean, I only watched season one and obviously there was season two. I mean, Mm -hmm. and this kind of leads into our next question, um, of like, what are you working on now? But also like, is there, I don't keep that up to date. Is there going to be a season three? And like, I I know book of Boba Fett's a whole separate incident. Right. Book Book of Boba Fett, you know, uh, people, uh, we we all sort of considered it season three at first. You know, we all felt, mm. and then and then it sort of became the you know it became like oh it's season two point five. Uh, but yeah, season season three has definitely been announced. It's, it's public knowledge that there is a season three uh, happening. And um, will you and, uh, be involved? I am. I am. Um, I am very much involved in um, you know the Lucasfilm uh, family, and uh, yeah, so. A continuing, continuing story. Yeah, we being very specific. Is there any other feature, uh, or you're at liberty to say that you're working on currently, or I'm, anything you? I'm not. I, I'm no. I'm. I'm, I'm with. Um, I'm still with the same project. But um, uh, you know, the, like as I just said, there's <laughs> for, for for you guys or for even for your audience, there's a Vanity Fair article that just came out this week that, that basically. Um, you know, uh, it's a you know it's a sanctioned article. With really great photos from Fran, uh, Annie Leibovitz and everything. And uh, but it basically, they you know Kathy Kennedy explains a lot about what's going on right now in the Star Wars universe, including what's in the future. So that's you know that's a good resource to go to. Um, I'm th- as you said, Disney and Lucasfilm are very very particular about what we talk about and what we say, and um, so I don't want to in any way betray or. or you know, we have NDAs that are quite powerful. Yeah. yeah. I we wouldn't want to ruin your career. Have to stay vague in, in terms of anything that is not yet um, public announced. Or, yeah. Well, Partha, would you say it's time for the big Kahuna final question? I think it is. I think it's time <laughs> we break it out. So try not to be too scared. But um, the big Kahuna final question is just: What's the last great movie you watched? Yeah, this is the one everyone um, hates to hear because forces them to remember. And this because is, um, really, it's well, because well, great. Here's a really honest answer: I don't watch anything anymore. I have very little time to watch anything. And I and my colleagues, we have a we have a chain at work. I will get to your answer, but we we uh, we have a chain called Watch and Watching. With everybody from all the various, you know, Lucasfilm projects, we all are all sort of on it, and we all, you know, they, every morning it's like, oh, I watched, you know, this last night. I watched this last night. I watched. I just watched the new Chip and, and Dale movie, or I watched, you know, I don't know, Better Call Saul, whatever it is. And everyone's talking about all the stuff they're watching, and I'm sitting there going, Who, which, how do people have the time when I'm sleeping for two hours a night every night? Like, I don't know how that, but somehow, you know, uh, people do. So funny enough, last night, um, my both of my kids were out. My wife and I sat down and we turned on Netflix, and um, and there was Top Gun. I was like, I said, I don't think I've seen Top Gun since, since mm. it came out. So I'm gonna, let's let's just watch Top Gun. So it's 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 a really it's a fun movie. It's it's not. Um, I don't think it's a great movie. I mean the. Um, 
obviously the action sequences are amazing and the uh you know there's, there's great tension and all that there's a lot of there's also the stuff that is somewhat dated but i but it was still it was very it was a very fun watch it's a very entertaining movie that i really enjoy um it just keeps you know it's just it's very well put together um, and then my wife's like, I'm going to bed and I have to stay up because I have to go pick up my kids later on that, you know, the teenage girls who, you know, don't drive yet. So, you know, one in the morning after they get them from their friends' houses. So I still had time and I watched, I, I, I started flipping through Netflix some more and I'm like, Dirty Harry. I have not, I don't think I've even seen all of Dirty Harry. <laughs> so I, I sat and watched Dirty Harry and that was actually, that I really enjoyed. Um, it, it's, you know, from 1971, and it just brought back that feeling for me of the, the movies I saw as a kid. It 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 um it definitely was not made in the digital era. You know, it had all the imperfections of film. It had um all the classic lines. It had you know um it had the uh, you know just you know Clint Eastwood doing you know all his classic stuff. Some really cool action sequences that. that he has a 44 Magnum. Yeah. Blow your head clean off. Right. Blow your head clean off. So um, I wouldn't necessarily go and say that those were, this is, I, that's I also, also a great movie. Well, let me just say, I'm a huge, I'm a huge Tom Cruise fan yeah, and I'm, I'm very excited for the second one. So I will. Yeah. Top Gun Maverick gladly... comes out in like two days. Yeah. Or... Yes. I'll... I'm excited too. And I, it may not be the most popular thing in the world to say, but I also am a very big Tom Cruise fan. I think he's, I think he's great in everything he's in. Um, this is very validating to me. It, I, I mean, I, he's just—he's—he's he's intense. He—he—he's um, committed, and he sells it to me. I don't care, you know, what his personal life is, or what people think of him, or jumping on Oprah's couch, or any of those things that you know, uh, you know, made him, you know, whatever. But just in his movies, he's just always good. Like I, there are certain movies I kind of don't of his that I didn't particularly like, but I mean, I'm thinking all the way back to the outsiders. Like I think the first yeah. time I ever saw him and that was a book I had read as a kid. And, and I thought this guy's you know, going somewhere and then ran risky business. He was just, he was I just, I, I just showed my girlfriend risky business. And by the end of that movie, we we're like, wow, Tom Cruise is a movie star by the end He's of this a movie. movie. Star. That's insane. Me. Yeah. Um, and, and all, you know, every, every single one of the uh, mission impossible movies, you know, the, the movies are as intense as he is, and they all work, um, and they're exciting. I, I I really enjoy watching him. I'll, I'll go see you know, any Tom Cruise movie. So there you go. If, if that's validating and that you know makes your day, then every every guest we have on, a lot of time they'll like they'll have somehow been on the set of Mission Impossible Two, and parts like. So have you met Tom Cruise? Like, I understand if you haven't. And then they're like, believe it or not, I had a very intense experience. Like, Tom Cruise shook my hand on the first day, and then something wacky happened with him five days later. Like, So, like, ev- everyone who works with them, like, has anecdotes to share. That's very funny. Well, it's I, I don't have any anecdotes to share other than um, he's, uh, he's he's vertically challenged. We've heard a short king. And, yeah. Yeah. And he... Um, so I had just been reading, I guess one of the reasons I gravitated toward watching Top Gun last night when, when I saw it is because I had just finished reading an article about him and Kelly McGillis and the casting mm-hmm. of the movie yeah. and how she, you know, the executives, you know, she had come off Witness and she was very popular and all that, but, um, you know, she just looked like she was way too old for him to be his love interest. And so they wrote into the script that she was older and they, they sort of changed a little bit but she was also she's like 5'11 and he's like 5'7 or something a big you know height difference and so he um they talked about how they had like him on platforms on apple boxes um platform shoes and how she would also in almost every scene slouch or sit down or lean in anything to make their height difference Uh, and it's so it's really interesting to see that after having read that article watching wow Wow. i'm I can't say how happy I am that the conversation went down this avenue, but um, <laughs> well, I think that's a good it's a good way to close out the show. Trent, your thoughts? Tom Cruise pro this interview, great. Let's let's wrap yeah. it up. Thank thank you so much to our guest Andrew Eisen. He's worked on so many cool movies like Django Unchained, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, Mandal- The Mandalorian, 
and our film for today, The Hateful Eight. Thank you so much for coming on. Absolute pleasure. Let's do it again. Welcome back. This has been an interview with Andrew Eisen, who worked on projects such as Django Unchained and our interview for this week, The Hateful Eight. Yeah, great. Jordan, yeah. it's amazing yeah. how you had that information all on hand, um, just off the top In of your head. In your brain. Yeah. Yeah. Partha, I just think that you're extremely sensible and uh, organized. Wow. She's really trying to butter me up. Hmm, interesting. I think she's um, trying to get a permanent spot on the show since I think uh, it's my spot is is a revolving door. <laughs> I know after 100 episodes, you wouldn't hesitate to kick me off. It's crazy how much hostility you guys edit out of the show. Who says anything about that we edited out uh, of the show? Wait, when, is, when has it ever been edited out? It's generally, I would say like our most hostile moments have been on on, on air. I think that's like the point. What else are we doing this for? We just need a record for when one of us kills the other one, and then we can know, and then there can be a lot of proof. Yeah, There's, like, equal likelihood of both. I think Parth would murder you. What, why do you Parth think that? Let, let's just hold on Because. That. Yeah, she's trying to think of a reason, and there isn't a good one. <laughs> I'm sorry. Is the alternative me? No, you should be, but thank you. Well, I'm sorry, Parth. Like, how would you want this to work out? I feel like I'm... More likely to kill someone, but you're more likely to kill me than I am to kill you. But like, why? You you're not giving me reasons <laughs> here. Because you get frustrated with me, and I feel like you, at a certain point you're gonna you're gonna break, mm. and you're gonna snap, and you're gonna. All it takes. How do you think we'll do it? it all it takes say. is one bad day. Joker, Joker, Joker. Part. I know it's the end of the episode. Can you do some Joker? Uh, well, give me something to say. I can't. I don't want to just do like. How about I chop you up and feed you to your pooches? You're a freak. You're a freak. How about I chop you up and feed you to your pooches, huh? And then we'll see how loyal a hungry dog really is. <laughs> it's not about the money. Yeah. It's about the message. Everything burns. Do you have any requests? He can do Spider-Man 2 also. You can? I can do, like, lines from Spider-Man 2. If, okay, if you have any, like... From Spider-Man 2. Nothing in Whoa, specific. Whoa, come on. Like, uh, like, my like favorite line. Beginning, of, beginning of the movie. Um, or, or, or favorite line works, too. I just want the voice. I mean, pizza time. Pizza time is pretty. <laughs> you late. I'm not paying for those. <laughs> you like that? Um, can you do the one where he like he loses? And, oh no no no! He doesn't lose, but like he doesn't. He gets a meager amount of money after winning the tournament. I think this is the first one though. Yeah. What? Oh. Yeah. She's saying after uh, he he lets he lets. Uh, I got you go. for three minutes. Three minutes. Later. <laughs> Bone saw is ready. Bone saw is ready. Part, did you notice that in my opening, there's bone saws ready? Yes. No. Come on. I'm not a monster. Okay. Nice. I want to add more. There's also the regular show, yeah, but like I want to make it even more chaotic than it currently is. Yeah. I'm. You know. Oh well. What I wanted to bring up after our discussion next week, we're fully into Jaws mode, aren't we? After our discussion next week, we're fully into Jaws summer, even though. Uh, shark week in full swing yeah wait it is is shark week approaching is shark week now shark week is isn't it like a month now shark week is a month now no no it's a they, month it's no longer they should call it shark month well i mean it's always been shark week so. um but like it's hot and there are like locusts flying everywhere so we should talk about wow, Jaws. that's a big, that's big Jurassic World Dominion vibes. But what I was gonna say is, for a Jaws miniseries, should I like concoct a little like music thing featuring like lines from the movie? Whoa, like a new intro for Jaws Summer, since we have like a just for Jaws Summer, just for the miniseries. Jordan, like it wouldn't your, overtake what are, what are everything. Your two cents. 
I think that you should do the the Jaws intro and the dun 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 dun, and then like the, all the build up, and then it's just you two talking. Does that make sense? Parth, 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 parth. Kind of like parth, 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 and then it's parth, and it's like. Well, that's just Mission Impossible. Parth. Trent, 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 Trent. Guys, we've gone insane. Crafts are sick. Is anyone is anyone listening anymore? Is show Do you think? A podcast? No. Um, if anyone's listening to this, let us know some way. Contact us somehow and say that you listened to the very end of this episode. <laughs> I but- just thought the entire thing would just be edited out. You think this is going to be edited out? Yeah. Jordan, of no. all the things this is being kept in. <laughs> okay, um, what's the code word? The code word is... Purple. Purple. And ca- of, of say... What? That, like, say that we'll give them a free... Or? Okay, but if you... Com- okay, you can comment on our Instagram or DM us or Twitter. Yeah. Um, but Or post on your com- Instagram story and you'll get... Maybe you'll get 50 cents if you post on your story. <gasps> Who yeah, knows? and if you're in a reasonable We're distance, we'll give you like a I'll give you a DVD or something uh, more exciting because you deserve a reward for listening to the end of the episode. Code word purple. Hi, can it can we be purple nurple? <laughs> code word purple. Nurple. Wait, wait. Code word parts purple nurple. <laughs> no, and and if okay. you say code word parts purple nurple, we will give you a big. That's getting gift. cut out. Um. <laughs> Code word so parts Jordan. purple nurple. No, like you can say that All how caps. much you want. Jordan. All caps. Yeah. If people want to find us on social media, is that a thing we have? And if people want to listen to us, like where are we even? Because I have no okay. clue. So this is an interesting question, so I'm gonna give you a good answer. So you can find craft services on Instagram or Twitter at craft services. And um, Well that's incorrect. Okay, um, craft, craft services? No? Just don't. Just don't. Just roll on by. Where, where can you, where can you find us to listen to? Um, Apple Podcasts mm. and Spotify. Yeah. Is that it? No, really wherever you get your podcasts. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, if you listen platform. on Amazon Music or At- Stitcher. Well, it's just craft services. You just search up at the name. Craft services. Look it up. Wait, and there's no at in podcasts. And so oh, okay, you okay, can craft services. give us five stars on whatever you want to do. Um, yeah, and give us a good review on Apple Podcasts on or Apple. wherever I they allow you to do the podcasts. Doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. I think we've taken enough time from the people. Code word parts purple nurple. <laughs>